Now, what I want to do today is I'm going to change the order a little bit. Our focus today is on one word. Everybody say results. results. When you look at your life, would you say this is what you wanted, what you have right now? You look at your salary, you look at your house, look at your life, look at your family, look at the way you feel about yourself. Is this what you wanted? If this is not what you wanted, the question is what happened? Why is it not what you wanted? What took place? What stopped you from having what you wanted in life? Sometimes if you're honest, you can come to a list of things that brought you to these results. If I want to know what your priorities have been in life, I look at what your results have been. Because your results are linked to your priorities. The things you chose to put first show up later on in life. If you did not make saving money a priority, that's why you don't have cash. It's one of the reasons. If you did not make certain things a priority, and that really has affected me in so many ways. Understanding how life changes, understanding how things change, how people change, and understanding how in a, mo in a moment, in the flash of circumstances, everything can turn on a dime in your life. But if you set the right priorities, if you say this goes first, it goes second, and you get clear, that's what their priorities is about, it's what goes prior, what goes prior, what do I do first? That's going to affect your results. So today, we're in the book of Esther. We're closing out the book. We're in chapter 7, and there's only 10 chapters in the book, so we're going to go 7, 8, and 9, but I'm also going to kind of bring you back up to speed, some of you that weren't here. Uh, my goal is to ho hopefully connect you so you're not lost in the series. First of all, I want you to understand in your notes, I'm going to change some of the order, so please follow me along for just a minute. First of all, notice there are five questions that will help you identify your priorities. Repeat them with me, please. Say, your definitions, your values, your goals. Those things are the keys that set in motion your priorities. But I want to know what you define, what, I, what you see as a priority. I look at how you define things. If I define success in preaching by simply getting you to be excited, then I probably would not give you sermon notes. I would probably, I'm not saying that if you have, if you, I'm not picking on sermon notes, but this says I'm a teacher. It shows you how I define things. My approach is I want to educate you, not just excite you. Now, I have to make sure I'm not boring, but I, my goal is to educate you. You can tell the definition of a person. You can tell the priority of a person rather by their definitions. So if a man defines love as you shut up and listen, if a woman defines love as you provide for me, period, I don't have to contribute anything. I don't have to clean the house. I don't have to do anything. Loving me is, is serving me. That's her definition. You can see that by the way she responds. You want me to clean the house? You got to be kidding. But that's her definition. And some people come into relationships without knowing how a person defines things. You don't, you're not clear. <laughs> you're not really clear about how that person thinks. Come on, say your definitions. Second thing you want to look at is now their definition, their values. What are their non-negotiable life rules? What are the things that they will not change? What are the things that they are totally committed to? Thirdly, look at your goals. What exactly are you working towards? When I know your goals, I'll know what your priorities are because your goals will show me. Your goals will help me. And what shapes your goals is your values. Come on, say them again. Say your definitions, your values, your goals. Last week we talked about timetables. Once you set a goal, you have a timetable. You don't have forever. 
And once you set a timetable, there, that affects everything, especially your results. So if I want to see what your priorities are, I look at your results. That tells me how much time you invested. It tells me how seriously you took this. Did you plan early? Did you respect the timetable? There's something about results. Now, Christians don't like to look at results first. They like to look at testimonies. They like to start with, well, you know, this happened, and, you know, the devil came at me. And they, they start with some kind of excuse. But I just think here's the bottom line. I'm bankrupt. Okay, there you go. Let's start there. Now tell me why. Let me understand where you are. The results, I have a very <clears throat> strong habit in my life. Temple, just tell me your results. This is a mirror talk. Is this what you wanted in your marriage? This kind of tension. Okay, if this is not what you wanted, then let's, let's, let's pause for a minute. Your priority was winning the argument, not building a marriage. Your priority was defeating her in that moment of tension. Making the point to that staff person, not helping them be better. That's your priority, your pride. When a leader's goal is to win, be careful, Temple. When the leader's goal is to always be on top, I don't care about the people on the bottom too much. I think I should want to win. It's a good thing. But I must care about the people on the bottom. Come on, say it, man. Come on, say we all need to win. Now, I, I want to um, jump ahead. If you would go all the way down to number to where it says five lessons from Haman's results. I want to talk from Esther chapter 7. I'll come back to the other stuff in a moment. But I, I want to start with the story because in chapter 7, we're coming to the end of a journey. And in this journey, there is a, a very difficult set of results that are about to happen in this guy's life. Haman was the guy who wanted to kill all the Jews. And Esther, the queen, was a Jew. And she was uh, elevated to be queen after the king and his wife fell out. Vashti was King Assyrius's, his first wife, the Persian's first wife. Oh, not the first wife, but that was his wife at the time. And when she refused to come out, he got drunk one party at one party and said, hey, come on, bring her out here and put her crown on and let her dance before all of us. And she said no. So in chapter 1, she says no, they fire her. Chapter 2, they find, they look for a new bride. Now, you can argue that all that happened in his first marriage, the king, because he was high on alcohol. It's amazing what drugs and alcohol would do to you. Make you destroy a good relationship. In chapter 2 of, of Esther, he's sad. He remembers. He woke up from his wine and he was sad he'd done it. It was too late. So now they're in chapter 2 looking, they got a new wife and they find Queen Esther. Esther was raised by a guy named Mordecai. Everybody say Mordecai. Mordecai. Mordecai was the guy who was her cousin. Esther's mother and father died, and he did this amazing thing. He took her in. He brought her in and raised her. It's a great example of how you can raise 
someone of the opposite sex if, by yourself with God's help. He raised a beautiful woman. She became queen. Now, in chapter 3, Mordecai now watches his beautiful cousin, who he raises a daughter, be queen. And he's always hanging around the king's gate. Can you say the king's gate? He's hanging around the king's gate, watching her go in and out. This is the guy, hanging around the king's gate. Well, there's a guy named Haman. Everybody say Haman. Haman, Haman is one of the, the leaders in Persia. He's, he's under the king, and the king promotes him. And he becomes this very, very important guy. And Haman uh, was, was given the honor of, of wearing the, the signet ring, a ring, special ring by the king. He's out given millions of dollars. He's incredibly wealthy. And he is told, whenever you walk around, people should bow and honor you. Well, whenever he would walk by the king's gate where Mordecai hung out, well, Mordecai was the only guy who wouldn't bow. And so his friends or people around him said, did you see that there's one guy that won't bow when you pass by? And so he tells him this to one guy, and, he, and so now he decides to kill the guy. No, not just the guy, all his family. No, not just all of his family, but the, all of his people. So he sets this day. He said, on the, on, on the 13th of Adar, or March, we're going to kill every one of your, every Jew there is. And that becomes the whole driving force. Now, I want to recap some of that in a minute, but I want to say it's an amazing story. As a matter of fact, can I change my mind again? Say yes. Go up to the top where it says eight important lessons that I want you to see. Eight important lessons. And I may not give you all eight, but I'll just hang with me. Make me work with this for a minute. First of all, notice that the command to destroy the Jews was in the 13th day of the first month. You see that? That's Esther chapter 3, verse 12. Everybody say the first month. So this was done in the first month. Then notice that the third month, it changes. In the third month, the command to, to not destroy the Jews was rescinded. So the first month, he declares it in Exodus, I'm sorry, Esther chapter 3, verse 12. And then by Esther chapter 8, verse 9, the king says, no, you can't do that. So understand, first month, second month, third month, this is only a three-month issue. Now, what I want to do is, please hang with me. Jump ahead. Go back down to the five things for a minute, okay? Go back down. Come on, hang with me. It's all good. You'll be all right. You'll survive this. I want to show you what happened before I read you the rest of those observations. Those are what I call loose ends. I'll tie that, those loose ends in a minute. But let me show you in chapter 7, verse 1, what happened when the king rescinded this order to kill all the Jews. There was a party given by Queen Esther. And Esther's goal was to inform the king that Haman had decided to kill all the Jews. The king didn't know it. And so she goes before the king, risk her life, because you weren't supposed to go before the king until he called for you. But she said, if I perish, I perish. And she went before the king. The king saw her and said, what do you want from me? Good to see you. And she said, come to my, come to my banquet, come to my party. So here they are at the party, chapter 7 of Esther, verse 1. So King Haman went to dine with Queen who? Esther. 
And on the second day, at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom. It shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my, at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Had we been sold as slaves, as male and female slaves, I would have uh, held my tongue. Although uh, the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Assyrius answered and said to the queen, to queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? Now pause for a minute. This is a guy, this is a leader who is uninformed. He has authorized something he does not understand. He has authorized this guy Haman to kill all the Jews simply because Haman said so. Haman came to him earlier and said, hey, you know, there are these people, king, didn't name them, and they just aren't faithful. We should, you know, get rid of them. And he, and he agrees. He doesn't research. He doesn't ask, who are they? What did they do? He doesn't really dig in, no investigation, just on the word of one guy. This is how a lot of leaders get in trouble, because you don't investigate. You allow people to just tell you things. And so here's what happens. Esther, verse 6, said, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Freeze frame. Be Haman for a minute and imagine how this moment feels. The queen now has thrown a party. He thought she invited him to the party because she, he, thought, she thought, he thought she thought he was all that. Well, all of a sudden now, Haman's terrified before the queen, king and queen. And what's amazing is chapter 7, verse 10, uh, he's, I'm sorry, 7, verse 7, the king arose in his wrath. He's so mad, he gets up from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. He is so mad, he storms out. Now, that's a bad moment. Now, watch what happens. It said, but Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. When the king returned from the palace garden to the palace, to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, well, will he assault my wife right here in the house? What, what's he doing? Now, now, two things have happened. First of all, he's confronted, which always happened eventually. Secondly, not only is he confronted, but he's misunderstood. He's not trying to attack the queen. He's just trying to plead for his life. But when things go down, they go down. <laughs> so watch what happens. Number three in your notes, he, he was hanged. As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. In verse 8, verse 9 now, now Habanah, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Hey, look, the gallows, the one he built for Mordecai, 50 cubits high which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing in the house of Haman. Then king said, hang him on it. So they, read this with me, please, verse 10. So they did what? Hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Now think about this for a minute. This is a guy who has now hanged by himself 
on the gallows he built for somebody else. You got to be careful when you set traps for people. Now, that's not the end of the story. In chapter 8, verse 1, watch what happens. His family is going to lose everything. I want you to think with me as we read this. It's not just what's going to happen to you. Your results don't stop with you. I want you to look at every one of your children, every one of your grandchildren, and I want you to think about how your drinking, how your choices, how your drugging, how your financial habits, how your fighting, how your attitudes, how your unforgiveness, all of that is going to trickle down to your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Your great-grandchildren will be mad and don't even know why. Sometimes that's why you need an older person in your life. They'll look at you and say, that's your granddaddy. That's your granddaddy. You don't know that, that womanizing, that's, you don't, uh-huh. They know exactly where it started. They can tell you the name of the people. They know exactly where the roots began. One of the challenges of not knowing your history is you don't know how you got started on the wrong road. Why are you mad with church? Why are you suspicious of preachers? You don't know why. One person told a story that touched me deeply. It was amazing what her daddy said to her. Somebody was trying to help her family, help her family, a pastor was. And her daddy said, be careful because you know those preachers will rape you. Where did he get that idea from? Where would that come to your mind? How would you even think that thought to tell your daughter when somebody's trying to help her for real? Be careful. Wonder was he one of the victims? Or did he know a story he never told? Don't just look at Haman in chapter 8. On that day, King Azurius gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he had related to her. So the king, verse 2 of chapter 8, took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai and Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. Your wife, your children are all slaves now. All because of you. All because of you. It doesn't stop with you. These results are not just with you. I want you to go back up again. I told you, you climb with me. Eight loose ends, right? The command to destroy the Jews was on the 13th day of the first month. The command to not destroy the Jews was on the third month. Esther chapter 8 verse 9. The command to not kill the Jews was ignored by their enemies. What's interesting is after Haman's death, which was in the third month, Haman now has a legacy beyond him. I didn't put this together until I finished the series. When you get to chapter 9, when the enemies have decided that they are going to fight the Jews anyway, the king sent out a, you know, a decree, hey, what Haman told you was wrong. We can't, don't you attack the Jews on the 13th day of, of March. Don't do it. They didn't listen. In chapter 9, it said the enemies ignored the, they ignored the king. And you're going to discover that the Jews had to fight off their enemies. 75,000 people were killed. You look it up in chapter 9 of Esther. One guy has died already, Haman. 
But the results of his decision have lived beyond him. 75,000 people still were determined on that day to attack the Jews, no matter what. So, if, if you notice this, the command to not kill the Jews was ignored by their enemies in chapter 9, verse 1. Number 4 in your notes, the Jews did, defended themselves but did not take the plunder in chapter 9, verse 15. When they attacked the Jews, the Jews fought back. And the Jews did not take their stuff, though. They didn't take their TVs and VCRs. They left them alone. The people planning to attack them were going to take everything. And you notes know, there are eight reasons here. Number five, the Jews celebrated their victory every year. Esther chapter 9, verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 7 yeah, talks about Purim. And they named it that because when Haman was choosing the day to kill all the Jews, he cast lots. And Purim, Purim means lots. He cast lots. So they named the feast days, which is a powerful thing, because what they did was they learned to celebrate their victories. We're guilty. When God gives you a great victory, you ought to always celebrate. How about an amen to that, huh? Amen. Number seven, you notes there under eight important left loose ends. The ten sons of Haman were hanged like their father in Esther chapter 9, verse 10. Daddy's gone and been gone months ago. Daddy's gone months ago. But now his kids are still living with his choices. Hmm. What will your children end up? With, 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 at the end of the day, will they have the same results that you have? Ask a couple quick questions. Ready? Let me just make a point. If you died today, right now, this second, with no warning, who would bury you and who would pay for it? Do you have insurance? Just curious. Just curious. Who would pay for your funeral? So that's the cousin's responsibility or your mother's responsibility or your friends. Who is responsible to bury you? It's about how much money is it? How much it costs to bury a person? Depends on what you do. 14000 could be 6000 7000 Burn them up is a little cheaper. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just saying, that's why people burn them up these days. They can't afford it. They say, it's cremation time, praise God. They can't, they can't. I'm, I'm, so I'm not making this up. I do funerals all the time. And, and, they, and you, you'd be surprised. If you want to tell you what you do, go and raise the money for your funeral right now. Call some family members when you leave church. Say, I'm, I'm planning on dying. I need to know if you're going to give to my funeral. And see how much you can get. As a matter of fact, let's do it right where you are. Look at your neighbors. How much will you contribute to my funeral? Ask them. So how much will you contribute to my funeral? How much money will you contribute did, they, did anybody get any offerings? Did any? You need to sit by somebody else in church. You sit by the wrong person. <laughs> you mean to tell me they won't even give a dollar? Look at them. Look at them. They save self. Save in church. Same church. One dollar. I got a dollar bid right here. I got a dollar. A dollar. A, a dollar. That's all we get. Why? Okay, but here's, here's the point. If you don't have any, here's the point. I want you to hear this. You're just like this guy. What I think is fascinating about the story is I'm like Haman in a lot of ways, I have to be honest. You're not thinking about anybody but yourself. You're not, if you're not careful, you're, you're not thinking about anybody beyond you. I have seen this over and over and over. Am I right, Ms. Beverly? Over and over and over again. They can't even buy food for the repast. You can bring down some food if I die, but you don't have to. I don't plan if you'd have to. 
Think about this for a minute. Do you really think it starts with you? These results go way past you. Little mad grandchildren, because you've been a mad daddy. Granddad, shut up to him. Get up. I'll beat all y'all. Yeah, little chip. Shut up. I beat all y'all up. Just like you. Is a mama still looking for love and your daughter still looking for love? Swinging her hips in the classroom, trying to get somebody's eyes, who can't save her. <laughs> you think them little boys can save you, baby? They can't buy you ice cream. All right, I'm moving on. Sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm flipping out. I'm back, I'm back. Loose ends, I gotta finish. Ten sons are hanged. But what's interesting is number eight in your notes, under eight important loose ends, the influence of Mordecai grew. It's amazing how Mordecai in chapter 10, verse 3, grows in influence. If you look, though, you would have never thought the guy hanging out of the gate could be successful. It's amazing what can happen to people. It's amazing that where you are right now is not where you have to be. Mordecai wasn't perfect. I told you you should have just bowed, you know. I mean, I give honor to whom honor is due. The guy didn't say worship me. But whatever you deal with, what's interesting is Mordecai grows. You can be imperfect, but you can grow. And even though he was imperfect, he didn't deserve to be killed. And he didn't deserve to have all his people killed. Haman went too far. You may be right, but you can't go that far. You can't take matters into your hands to that degree. So four important loose ends about Mordecai, which I thought was fascinating. Mordecai results changed because he adopted his orphan cousin. Now, what's interesting about this guy is he made a decision, one decision, and I'll talk more about this next week, the power of one moment. Next week that's what I'll talk about. It's a great, great study on this. Mordecai made one decision. He saw his, his cousin, mother and father, and die, and obviously nobody else took her in. He says, come on, girl, go with me. A cousin. Come on, girl, go with me. Those words would change his life forever. That one decision. Secondly, Mordecai's results changed because he was loyal to, to leadership. In chapter 2 of Esther, it was in verse 21 that he overheard some guys at the gate now, at the, where he hung out plotting to kill the king. And he told, he told Queen Esther, Esther told the king, saved his life. They wrote it in a book. They wrote it in a book. Because he did that one thing, that's the reason the king honored him later on. The king was up one day. We talked about last week. He was reading the, in the book. You know, he said, hey, what happened to this guy named Mordecai who saved my life? Nothing. Oh, wow, won't we do something for him. And then Haman was walking by. He said, hey, Haman, come here. What do you think we should do for a guy who honors the king? Haman thought he was talking about him. He said, hey, put him on a horse, ride him around, tell everybody how great he is. <laughs> and he said, well, go do it for Mordecai, the guy at the gate. He said, oh, God, yeah, I know. Yeah, he said, I know exactly where he is at the gate. He's always at the gate. Mordecai's results, number three, were changed because he became highly admired. People saw it. Consistency brings admiration. Number four, Mordecai's results changed because he hung around the king's gate. I love that. Where do you hang around? 
eight times in the scripture, he's described as hanging around the gate. Now, he's in, there's only 10 chapters in the book. Every chapter you hear, and he's hanging around the gate. Where do you hang around? You hang around tells me a lot, but where are you going? You keep hanging around the wrong places. That's why you can't get anywhere. And so at the end of the day, it all changes. Now, as I close, go over to the bottom here, closing. What I learned from this series, I learned some powerful things from this series, and it really helped me. Here's what I learned. Number one, in chapter one, I learned the danger of alcohol. I, don't, I, don't want, I want to be clear about something. I tell you I don't drink because I'd like it. I would be a wine bibber. Now, I say that because my family history. Wine, liquor destroyed my family on the men's side, and it didn't do the women much better. But there's a trail of destruction because of drugs and alcohol. But not only that, I think I like it. Hey, <laughs> I'm already extreme. I don't need any help. You know what I'm saying? I'm high already. You know, <laughs> shoot, give me some whiskey. You don't know what you might get. Shoot, <laughs> what? <laughs> some of you, some of you, you surprised. I'm not gonna quote any Bible verses. I'm not. Some of you look at your life. It's not working for you. It's not helping you. You can hide behind it, but it's not helping you. Drugs is not helping you. Secondly, I learned from this series to be careful when you pick up, pick fights like Haman and Mordecai did with each other. In chapter 3, two guys are fighting over bowing and not bowing, but everybody else suffers. You know, your fights don't just affect you. I don't know why you and your husband think you're all fighting and it doesn't affect anybody else. Why do you think that? You think you're invisible? You think the kids don't feel the vibe? And why are you surprised that when, when, they, when they fight? Why are you surprised when they fight the other people? Why? Why? Certainly, I learned from this series, be careful how strongly you respond. Haman went too far in chapter 3. He was, it's too far. I mean, okay, Haman, he did you wrong. He should have bowed, but you can't go that far. Picking up a lamp. Extension cord. I brought you in the world. I take you out. Really? Praise the Lord. Put that on the internet. Praise the Lord. Number four. I learned to be careful that you don't sow a seed that could hurt 75,000 people. Chapter 9 of Esther, verse 16. Read it on your own. 75,000 people. How many, how many people have been impacted by your choices? Here's what I told a person once. I said, you be careful that you don't tattoo your name on people when they meet you. Good person, good person. I think, I think this person's a nice person. I think this person is golden. But when they get angry, they tattoo their name on you. You won't forget their name. Are you like that? Don't take nothing. Number five. I learned to be committed to stop stepping in when I can make a difference. Esther did that in chapter 4. Esther could have stayed out of this. And Mordecai notified her, said, you know, you're a Jew too. When they find out, they may kill you. There are times you can't step out. You got to step in. You can't watch your kids be abused and you say nothing. 
Some things you have to, t- you, have to st- you have to step up and say, no, this is right. In our political environment, there needs to be a step up. The religious community is making the same mistake it made historically. During slavery, during history, when, they, when women were abused, they were silent. They've been silent, and the church is notoriously silent. Religious, but silent. You can't be silent. You can't be silent when a white man's abused. You can't be silent when a black man's abused. You can't be silent when a woman's abused. And you can't be silent when a child's abused. You can't be silent when a rich man is abused. Listen, and you can't be silent when a wealthy, when a poor man's abused. You have no right to go to that wealthy man's job and not give him eight, eight solid hours. That is abuse. And neither do we have the right to ignore the poor. And I don't need to be poor to, to support the poor. I need to be, I, who wants to work for a poor person? Any of you want to work for a poor person? I'm sorry, you're quiet. Talk to me. <laughs> poor person can't pay you. You need somebody with some money. Come on, say amen, right? Amen. You need to be praying that your company prospers and does well. Don't get me started. Get off that temple. Here we go. Number six, I'm I'm going forward. Number six, be careful when people push you into a fight. I learned this from the story, into a foolish fight. Haman's friends, Haman's surroundings saw him being ignored by Mordecai, and they told Haman, hey, Haman, did you see that guy? Hey, Haman, did you see? Who's leading you in this stuff? Child, that's my husband. Well, you ain't got one, so stop right there. Bam, freeze. If that was me, I would go on that job and tell them all off. It really, well, you don't have a job. You're unemployed. Just freeze. I don't need you to. I don't need you. Listen, don't pick a fight. Haman didn't see him. He would have just been another guy at the gate, but you pointed it out. You stirred a pot. Lord have mercy. Finally, be careful that you don't leave your family with a heavy bill to pay. Once you're gone, Haman's family ended up servants of Mordecai. Temple, temple, temple. Where am I going to leave you? When it's over. Because all the rides end. Listen to me, listen to me. All the rides end. In. I kind of want to say it and I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. Just take it and put it in the right box, okay? Because I think I should tell you things that affect me. So you can understand I'm not just preaching a sermon because I don't have anything else to do. Some nice people going through a great challenge called me a few weeks ago from New Birth Church in Atlanta. Bishop Eddie Long's church. He passed now. And they ask me what I talk about when I come and talk to their leaders about how to survive in uncertain times. And there were several hundred of their leaders gathered. My, I went, dying went with me, Christina. Christina signed. It was great. It's a powerful moment, powerful teaching time. And I'll tell you what I thought about. What's it like when you're gone? Take off the pastor's mantle. 
And now it's just you. Don't misunderstand anything I'm saying. I'm just saying how I was affected. They said I did a great job. They said I really helped. But I thought about you. A fire was lit in my soul. Because I thought about you. In a way I've not thought about you before. 3,000, almost 400 of us here. And I thought about you. And I'm not making up a number. That's a real active number. I ain't counting folks ain't here and dead and all that. Who are you thinking about? Thinking about you or beyond you? Because once you leave, what's it going to feel like? What will you have to manage? You stay on this road. You don't change. You don't change your priorities. What's going to happen? That's a real question. And I vow to you, it's on the front burner of my priorities. I promise you there's things in place, and I promise you that I'm committed when people, and that's not the only church, several churches have asked me to come and do stuff like that. And I'm, I'm honored that they asked me. I'm honored that they want to hear my thoughts. But I've learned something. When I come home, I think about you. And you need to think about yourself. And you need to help me. Come on, say amen. amen. Point your hands this way. Say, we are going to help you. Come on. <laughs> you didn't even all point. See, that's what I'm talking about. Point at me, please. Say, we are going to help you. Help me. I can't do it by myself. And I promise to do my best. And we're going to do our best as leaders here. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that as we leave today, that every heart will be stirred from this series. That we will rise as a church. First, let me pause and say, Touch new birth. Touch those leaders. Touch that congregation. Touch those who are going through the season. Give them grace and favor. I pray in Jesus' name. They've traveled the journey. And they are reaching out for God's grace and help. And so I declare in Jesus' name your hand, your hand upon them. And also pray for us. Every hand lifted. Help us as a church prepare for our future. I pray the grandparents and fathers and mothers, people with no will, people with no insurance, people who have waited for somebody else to save them after death. Lord, touch them today. I pray for inspiration, not just conviction. They'd be inspired to say, let me do something this week. Let me make a phone call this week. Let me make sure that I at least have something so that when I'm gone, those who are left behind won't be like Haman's family. My sons won't be hanged. My daughters won't be in prison because I left them with the wrong spirit. In the name of Jesus. Hands down, please. Head bowed. 
you're in this room today, for some of you, the biggest decision you can make is to give your life to Jesus. The rightest thing you can do is say, I know my life needs to change. If you're here today and you know that's true, with every head bowed, you know that's true. You've been on the wrong road and you want to get on the right road today. I want to pray for you today. I want you simply to raise your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. That's me. I want you to pray for me today, Pastor. I need to get on the right road today. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Anybody else? I like this man, too. I see your hand. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor Ray. I see your hand. Anybody else? Let me see. Who's going to touch their family? I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Your family's not going to be caught in that trap. Raise your hand. Let me see who you are. I see your hand. I, I see you waving. I see you. I see you over there. Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, we pray for those who raise their hands and many who raise their hearts today. And I declare in Jesus' name that they will leave this place changed. I pray that this will be the day that they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you, both here and at home. They'll be changed and inspired to be different. And we declare it in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Give God a big hand clap and a big praise. Come on, big praise. Father, we thank you today. In the name of Jesus, we honor you.